Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Page in your Bible, because next week we're going to hit 3 John, the next page over, and then the week after that we'll hit Jude, the following page, because they're all right here together in Scripture. Um, There's a very popular, very common phrase um, being used today um, in pop culture and social media um, among um, various groups of society. Um, that phrase is this, live your truth. Live your truth. It's common from Oprah. Oprah uses that a lot when she talks to people um, and various people like her in society. And um, I did a Google search to find out what does that phrase actually mean? Because I think I know what it means when people say it, but how, how does the culture define it? And it's defined like this. To live in your truth simply means to live as your most authentic self, doing things daily that bring you happiness and joy, living as true to yourself as possible. This is where we get so many things in our culture, that so many ideas in our culture stem from this kind of idea. So you have things like um, the, the, the critical race theory that's really um, big in a lot of places. You have things like transgenderism. You have things like all the things being put out, out, out on TikTok. Um, it's all flowing from this idea of living your truth. Be true to yourself. And, and a lot of, honestly, a lot of young people are being taught that the most important thing in life is to live as who you are. Live true to yourself. Only do things that bring you happiness and joy. And so many crazy ideas are, are so, so many of the crazy ideas that we believe in, our, that our culture believes, are built on a lot less innocent foundations like that. Um, you know, so when, you know, when they told, when we used to tell kids, and maybe we still do, I don't know, but um, when kids were told 30 years ago, you know, um, you can be whatever you set your mind to. We see how that very quickly escalates to you can be whatever gender you want to be, right? Um, it, it escalates. Innocent ideas like that produce crazy ideas. Any, and, and it's this idea that anyone who challenges anything um, that you believe about yourself needs to be canceled and, and thrown out of society. That, that's where things go. The fact is that de- the definition of live your truth, though, is not that far off from reality if you're saved. Remember, we talked this morning about how if you're saved, you're, you're united with Christ. And so to live true to the most true thing about you, in that case, would be a very good thing. But when we're talking about the lost world, the most true thing about them is that they are sinners on the way to hell. And so to live true to themselves in that case is a pretty terrible thing to do. It's not very helpful, is it? Live your truth is a very dangerous thing because what it does is it makes truth out to be something different for every single person. Truth is different depending on who you are and what your experience is. And that's not the case. Truth is truth no matter who you are. Truth does not change. Truth is absolute. 
A stove is hot whether I want it to be or not. Whether or not I believe in gravity, if I jump off that stage, I'm going to land on the floor. I'm not going to float through the church, right? My, My thoughts about myself and how I feel are not necessarily truth. The Bible commands... The the Bible's command on our lives is not to live our truth, it's to live God's truth. And I think that's kind of the message of 2 John, so we're going to read 2 John now. 13 verses, I'm going to read the whole thing. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You're going to find that tonight and the next two weeks, the sermons are going to sound pretty similar because 2 John, 3 John, and Jude are all dealing with pretty much the same topic. Just a li- They say a little bit different stuff about it. Um, so in a lot of ways, the three, the three weeks that we're in right now, are, are, we're, we're talking about truth, and we're talking about why truth and what we believe is important. Um, it's a unique thing to Christians that we call our lives a walk. We call, it, we, 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 talk, we call it the Christian walk. That's often the terminology we use. Um, we'll ask each other, how's your walk going? Um, that nobody else in the world does that. I mean, they, they just don't, but Christians do because our journey with Christ is a walk. Think about a walk. What do you do when you go on a walk? Well, typically you're, you're going somewhere. You're not just wandering through the woods aimlessly. You're, you're, you're typically going somewhere. You're on a journey um, one of the most famous Christian books in history is a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's by John Bunyan. It was written um, 1600s, 1700s, I forget, somewhere around there is when John Bunyan lived. Um, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fictional book, but it's written in such a way to be an allegory for the Christian life. So it's, it's unapologetically being an allegory. The main character's name is Christian because he's supposed to represent a Christian. 
Um, and along the way of his walk, he runs into um, uh, people like Wayward and people like um, Doubting and people like, I mean, just, just people, their character name is meant to explain who they are and what their purpose in the story is. Um, he's on a journey, he's on a walk. At the beginning of the story, it's very clear, it's kind of like he becomes a Christian and he begins the journey to a place he's looking for called the Celestial City. It's supposed to be paradise, heaven. Um, he's on a journey. He's walking the whole way. Second John presents the Christian life as, verse 4, a walk in truth. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Um, truth is actually repeated five times in the first four verses alone. Um, if you have a pen and you mark in your Bible, go ahead and underline them. They're, they're there. Five times the word truth is used. And remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's One of the three things Jesus says he is, is the truth. And so when we walk in a journey of truth, we're walking on a journey with him. John writes, he, verse 1, he says, it, it, he doesn't literally say his name is John, but, but historically this book has been attributed to John. The elder was the same, an elder is a pastor, they're the same word in Greek, they're the same idea. Um, John the pastor, John the elder, is writing to the elect lady and her children. We don't really know why he uses such an odd phrase for the church, um, the elect lady and her children. Um, perhaps it was something like a code word for the church in the midst of persecution. So if this letter circulated and got caught in the wrong hands, uh, they wouldn't know who he was writing to. Um, but, but there is also the fact that the church is elect. The church is God's chosen people, the same way Israel was in the Old Testament. Um, and all of her children would be all the people in the church. John loves them, and he says he loves them in truth. That is, he truly loves them. It's not a false love. It's a true love. There's a lot of false ways to love somebody. You know, you can love somebody in word only. Um, you know, I love them, but I don't really care to do anything for them. Um, that's, that's loving somebody falsely. It's, you know, loving them in ways that God does not deem love. Um, so if you think loving somebody is the, the thing that you're doing to them is hateful, um, it's, it doesn't matter if you think it's loving, it's not. Um, it, you know, loving somebody in order to gain something from them, um, that's a false way to love somebody. John loves them in truth. He loves them as God intends for us to love people. And he says in verse 2, truth, remember truth is his main subject, truth abides in us and, and it will be with us forever. That is truth does not change. Truth never changes. It stays the same. The grass will die and the flowers will fade, but the word of God will last forever. It never changes. Not a dot or a tittle of God's word will pass away at any point in history. Truth is not changing. We may change how we share the truth, um, and so certainly if I'm going to you know, be a minister in the middle, in the, in the rainforest of, of, of South America, I'm probably going to do a little bit different of how I present the message to them than maybe I would right here, but, but the truth that I'm sharing does not change. We may update some of the ways that we communicate the truth, but we do not change the truth. Truth stays the same forever. It does not need updating. We, we don't need to update this book in, in no way. Truth is a walk, so don't assume people will be in truth forever. It's a walk. 
You cannot lose your salvation if you have it, but many um, think they have it when they don't. Um, you think of the parable that Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4, where he says that a sower went out to sow, and he, he, he sowed seed in four different fields. And what are those four fields? One of them he, he throws out, and the birds come and immediately destroy it. And he, he compares that to um, when the word of God is preached, and the devil immediately comes and gets it. The second field, he, he goes and he preaches. He, he throws out the seed, and it lands in the ground, and it immediately sprouts up but it has no root, so the sun hits it and scorches it, and it's gone. And he compares that to people who um, hear the word, and they receive it and get really excited about it, and it looks like they're saved, but as soon as some kind of hardship comes, they just, they just cut and run. And then you have the third person who um, the seed gets thrown out, and it lands in a rocky soil, and um, thorns choke it out. Thorns choke it out. So, so he compares that to people who receive the word, who receive the truth, and they... Um, they receive it, but the things of the world just distract them from it, and they, they, they don't last long. And then there's the fourth soil that lands there, plants in the ground, gets deep, and grows up and bears fruit. There's, there's four types of people that receive the word. And so in the walk of truth, don't assume people will be on that walk forever. They may, they may be like that second or third soil where they receive it, and they um, have it for a little bit, and then they depart from it and walk away from it. You can't lose your salvation, but you can prove that you never had it. We don't just work to get our kids saved and then rest that they're going to heaven one day. No, we work hard to get them saved. You know, we've had three kids baptized here in the last few weeks. That's awesome. We work hard to get them to that point, but then it's our job to labor and give our lives to keeping them in the faith making sure they stay walking with Jesus. But the parable says, that parable that we just talked about, um, it says there are many who land in the ground, sprout up, and they're consumed by the heat. Jesus says that those who endure to the end will be saved. If you fall away from Jesus before the end, before you die, it reveals you never, knew, you never truly knew him. The devil puts all his energy into leading people astray through lies. God is truth, and we walk in truth, and the devil's constantly throwing lies at us, trying to knock us off the walk. And when we are deceived by those lies, we stop walking in the truth. So many pastors I know make it their goal just to get as many numbers saved as possible. Get them, you know, herd them in like cattle, get them to pray the prayer, send them on, and report, you know, our church baptized 200 people this year. But the Great Commission is twofold. It's get them saved, absolutely get them saved, but also labor to keep them saved. Also walk with them on that journey of truth. Don't herd them in and send them off and, you know, cheer for yourself. No, herd them in, get them saved, and walk with them the rest of the way. That's the goal of, of, of us as Christians with the people that come to know Jesus. God keeps them saved, but we labor to keep them in the faith and, and for them to not fall away. We instruct them more and more in truth, in truth. But verses 4 through 6, we, we see there's a balance of truth and love. There's a balance of truth and love in this walk of truth that we're talking about. One of the biggest ways the devil tries to get people to not believe truth is to convince them that it is unloving to hold to truth that it's mean-spirited to hold the truth. So 
believing Jesus is the only way to salvation is unloving to those nice Muslim neighbors you have. You know, believing certain sins are certain certain sexual sins are are sinful is unaccepting and hateful to those people that you know that walk in those sins. And when you're faced with the choice of holding the truth or being seen as unloving and hateful by the world, you typically cave because it's you versus the world. The devil knows this. He, his scheme is make you have that hard crossroad of do I hold the truth but do so lovingly or do I just ignore the truth so that the world doesn't look at me badly? I've got to pick hardship or faithfulness. Just understand that God is the God of truth and God is the God of love. He's over both of them. Verse 3, look. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. They're paired there together. And often, truth and love are paired together. John 1.14, Jesus, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's full of grace and truth. Um, Ephesians 4.15 says we're called to um, grow in maturity in Christ so that we will speak the truth in love to people. You cannot have one without the other. You, you cannot have love without truth, and you can't have truth without love. Uh, love without truth is hate. To be loving to someone and not speak the truth to them is hateful. To Speak the truth to someone, but not be loving toward them. Do it in a hateful way. That's hateful. You got to have both. You got to, if you truly love somebody, you will speak the truth to them. But if you also truly love somebody, you will speak the truth to them in a loving way. Often, truth spoken in love is not perceived as loving. In 2022, it's very common for couples to live together before marriage. That used to be rare. It's almost every couple these days, with the exception of biblically-minded Christians that are sold out to Christ. It's very difficult to speak that truth to them. Um, I've had to have some of those conversations before with people, and I hate it. But it's so common to have to have those conversations. We have to do that. It is defiling to the marriage bed to live together before marriage. And statistically speaking, you are way more likely to get divorced if you live together before you're married. It will make them mad to tell them the truth. But it's more loving than the alternative. Which is more loving? For a doctor to tell a patient that they have a really bad case of cancer, but if we do the right things, we might be able to keep you alive, we might be able to keep you from dying. Or for a doctor to know the patient has cancer, but tell them everything's okay, and just let them die slowly with no chance of survival. Which one's more loving? It's the same situation as speaking the truth in love. If um, if that doctor tells that person you have cancer, it's going to ruin their day, I promise. Like, they're not going to be happy for the rest of the day. But if he doesn't tell them they have cancer, they don't know they need treatment to possibly cure that cancer. It is the loving thing to tell them that they have a chance to survive, but they've got cancer. John puts forth a paradigm, verses 5 and 6. He puts forth forth this paradigm where to love is to walk in truth, and to walk in truth is is to love. It's the same thing. Um, To obey the commandments of Jesus is, um, is 
to love, and to love well is to walk according to the commandments of Jesus. It's right there in verses 5 and 6. We are to love one another. The way we love one another is to walk in God's commandments, to walk in truth. And the fact is, where we do that, when we do that, we love one another. Think about the commands of Scripture. Um, There are certainly commands of Scripture that that I can obey in the privacy of my home with nobody else around me, but there's a lot of commands in Scripture that I have to have other people to to carry them out. You know, when it says pray for one another, i got to have other people to pray for to, to carry out that command. When it says to serve one another... I got to know other people to be able to serve them, and I got to be able to show that command to other people. When it says encourage one another, I got to be able to do that with other people. So, so to obey the commands of Jesus and to show his love to people, I have to be around people. It's a paradigm. You have to, to, to love, you have to walk in truth, and to walk in truth, you have to love. Love for God is to obey these commandments. And love for God and others is produced through obeying those commandments. This cuts against so much of the spirit of our day. It says, don't worry about Christian doctrine. Just love each other. Don't worry about growing deep in your faith. That's a waste of time. Just love each other. Okay? All right? I'll I'll just love each other. How do I do that, though? How do I do that? Because Christian doctrine informs me how to love each other. If I don't know truth, I don't know how to love somebody, biblically speaking. Biblical truth must be understood to know how to love each other. If you don't let the Bible define how to love each other, the world will do it for you, and they'll teach you some crazy things that are wrong about how to love each other. And John then talks in the rest of his letter about these, this specific group of people that don't do this. He's, he's been laying forth this commandment, this, this lifestyle in 1 through 6 of walking in truth and love, and now he goes on to talk about these people who don't do this. Uh, he, he defines these people well in verse, um, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. That goes on ahead idea is still in that analogy of a walk. It's like we're all walking together on a road, and this one little dummy decides, I'm going to go up here and get really far ahead of y'all. And he you know, runs all the way up, way out of sight, and he's no longer with us. It's that kind of thing. So it's these people who go on ahead. The world is trying to, to define for you how to love each other, what, what that looks like. It's trying, the world's trying to tell you um, how to love opposite of what the Bible tells you to do. Deceivers and false teachers, as verse 7 says, they are everywhere. They're everywhere. Have you thought, have you ever thought, what makes false teachers so attractive? Like, like why do people flock to false teachers when, it, when, when for us we hear what they say and we're like, that, that's stupid? Why does a, an entire crowd flock to false teachers? Why does Joel Osteen have the biggest church in America? Why do people share Stephen Furtick clips on Facebook but not John MacArthur clips? Maybe you know who either of those preachers are. Stephen Furtick, bad, really popular preacher, but bad. John MacArthur, really faithful pastor out in California, very good. People share Stephen Furtick's clips all the time. They never share John MacArthur's clips. Why does... Nobody read books about true Christian theology, but they will read every book by an author about how we are five years away from the rapture. 
And then five years from now, they'll read another book about how we're five years away from the rapture. False teachers promise the blessing of God without the sacrifice. That they, they promise the blessing of God without the sacrifice. You can have all the eternal life and blessings that God gives, but you don't have to surrender. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to have hard conversations with people. You don't have to be hated by the world. You don't have to put your indwelling sin to death. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Jesus is in the wilderness, and what does the devil say? I'll give you every kingdom of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. What's he saying in that moment? Well, he's saying, Jesus, I know your mission. I know you're here to go to the cross and die, and God's supposed to give you all the kingdoms of the world when you do that. You can skip all that. Just bow down and worship me right now. Skip all the pain, and I'll just give them all to you right here. But that's an empty promise. Jesus has to go through the pain to inherit the crown. He has to do that. False teachers, verse 7 and 8 that they do not, uh, the, the way you can identify a false teacher, there's certainly strands that you know, may not connect back to this, but the way you can identify a false teacher is if they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That was the specific big teaching that John and the apostles were confronting in their day. Um, these people would say that um, Jesus, um, he, he didn't really come as, a, as an actual human he came as uh, something like a, a manifestation of, of something divine. Um, I, I just like to say that they are theological Grinches. They hate Christmas. They hate the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Um, that they, they were, um, John pulls no punches with them. He calls them what they are. What's he call them? The Antichrist. He says those false teachers who deny that Christ came in the flesh, they are the Antichrist. We usually only think of the Antichrist as a politician at the end of history, and that, that guy will certainly come, but the spirit of Antichrist is present at all times. Like, like I promise, like it, 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 it does not escape me that, that Adolf Hitler carried the spirit of the Antichrist, or uh, so many other evil people who have been down through history. They are the spirit of the Antichrist, they're not the final Antichrist. But what makes someone an Antichrist is that they deny Christ. Anti, as in like not for, if I'm anti, uh, anti, what's something you're anti of? If I'm anti, you know, gasoline, then I don't want a gasoline car, right? I'm, I'm not anti-gasoline, by the way. But um, if, if you're anti-gasoline, you don't want a gasoline car. If you're anti-Christ, you're against Christ. So what is a false teacher specifically? Well, it's not just any person that disagrees with you um, on, on any matter. Um, it's not necessarily even people from a different denomination, though it could be. I, I've shown you before, um, and, and I'll actually mention this again in a couple weeks when we're in Jude, um, that this idea of what's called theological triage. Um, so, so triage is a medical term that if three people walk into the hospital at the same time and one of them has a broken leg and one has a, well, if he's got a broken leg, he's not walking into the hospital, but if they all come into the hospital at the same time and one of them's got a broken wet leg and one of them's got a sprained ankle and one's got, you know, one's bleeding out of their side, well, triage determines you deal with the guy that's, you know, got bl blood gushing out of his side first, right? That's what you do. 
When the same way, theologically, in Christian doctrine, there are levels of importance, things that you have to believe to be an Orthodox Christian, things that you have to believe to be probably worship in the same church together, and then things on the third level that honestly you can disagree on and still, you know, be in the same church together, no problem. First level issues, those things you have to believe to be an Orthodox Christian, are are salvation issues, um, that, that Jesus is God that scripture is without error, that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, um, th- things like that. Second level issues are, are things that you have to believe to be in the same church together. It's going to be really hard for you to worship in the same church together if you disagree on this. Things like, should we baptize infants? Um, things like, can, can women be pastors? Um, can you speak in tongues? Just different things like that. Um, and then third-level issues, again, are things that it, we probably disagree on them in this very church. Things like, um, did God use evolution when he created the world? Things like, um, you know, which Bible translation is the best? False teachers are people who deny the first-level issues, the, those salvation issues. That They're people who reject those things. We tend to make a really big deal about those third-level issues, you know, I can't believe he thinks God used evolution. You know, I can't believe she doesn't read from the 1611 King James Version, which nobody does, by the way. They've updated it, and you wouldn't understand the 1611 King James Version. Um, First-level issues are what make people false teachers and heretics. So if they deny the Trinity, they're a false teacher. If they deny that Scripture is is inspired without error, they're a false teacher. If they deny the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they're a false teacher. Things like that. John says they're anti-Christ. They distort truth. Remember, we're on this walk of truth. They take what is on the walk of truth and they distort it. And false teachers leave the walk and go on ahead. Verse 9. It's a walk. They These people go on ahead and leave the rest of us behind. They don't want to spend their time walking in truth, so they run on ahead thinking they know better than than the rest of us. You know, I don't have time for you people that just want to show up on a Sunday night and hear a sermon. Like, I'm going to go change the world. And where do they end up? They don't abide in the teaching of Christ, thus they don't have God. That's what the verse says. Verse 9. They think they do, but they have a generic God with no Christ and thus no salvation. It's only those who walk in the truth of Christ that have both the Father and the Son, as verse 9 says in the second sentence there. This is what happens with false teachers. And finally, false teachers should not be supported in any way, verses 10 and 11. What's he say? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's a strong statement. Like, like if this dude shows up at your house for lunch, don't even let him in the house. That's what he says. We should be discerning about the ministries we support, both as a church and individually. The, the things you give your money to, you know, at home, and, and the things we give our money to as a church. We should be discerning about those things. You know, I'm thankful for really great ministries like Operation Christmas Child and um, the Baxley Children's Home and Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and the ABAC VCM and, and all kinds of wonderful things like that. We know they're orthodox and we know they're not false teachers. 
Thus, we continue supporting them. But we don't support just any ministry that says they follow Jesus and ask us for financial support. We make sure they're legit first. We make sure they're not false teachers. We don't partner with churches that deny key doctrines of Scripture. A common doctrine you see denied in a lot of churches is the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Um, that, that's what a lot of liberal churches do. That's how they justify a lot of their um, beliefs. Um, I don't know what authority they, they hold to. I don't know what, where they get, I don't know what their pastor preaches from on Sunday, if the Bible's not inerrant, but that's what they do. So where I went to a seminary in Louisville, um, there's two seminaries, and they're actually really close together. They're practically across, across the street from each other. Um, there's mine, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, which is from the SBC. It's a, it's a Southern Baptist Convention school. Um, and then there's another one across the street called Louisville Seminary. Very generic name, Louisville Seminary. It's a Presbyterian seminary, but there's, there's two branches of Presbyterians. There's a, a solid one that we basically agree with most everything except for a couple issues with them. And then there's a liberal branch of it that has essentially denied the faith practically. Louisville Seminary is this bad branch. That, that, that's who they are. Um, so imagine a non-denomination church wanted to give money to support theological education, and they, they're in Louisville, so they Google seminaries in Louisville, and they don't really care for Baptists. They've seen some Baptists do some dumb things, so they don't want to associate with Baptists, but, then they see, but, but they want to give their money to an Orthodox Christian movement, something that's actually teaching the Bible and, and training up pastors to do faithful work. And they see, oh, Louisville Seminary, that sounds like a good place. So they give money to them, and they've made the wrong choice. One is Orthodox, one is not. John literally says, don't host a false teacher in your house or give them greeting. That doesn't mean, of course, you know, shun them in the marketplace. You know, they walk past you. Like, that's not what he's saying. It's simply, we don't give them, we don't give to them financially. We don't partner with them. We don't watch them on TV to boost their ratings. We don't associate with them in that way. Because truth is important. Truth is so important. John says that to take part with a false teacher, verse 11, to take part with them is wicked. It's a wicked work. W wicked works are not just drugs and alcohol. It's not just prostitution. It's false teaching. We don't take part in it, he says. So in a world that is constantly saying to live your truth, live God's truth. Live truth, live true to who he is, not true to who you are. You're a sinner, even though you are redeemed, you're often drawn to this world, but God never changes, and his truth stands forever. So in this world that constantly says, live your truth, hold fast to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for truth, and I pray